Fitzroy has been taken to the crypt and has to rely on some new friends to make it through. Rainier and Argo rush to save him? Does he need saving? No one's sure. The Fearbolt goes home, journeys are made, alliances are forged, goodbyes are said. We listen to episode 25 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer, PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello. Lauren, what did you think of this episode? I really, really liked this episode. There were, I mean, we'll get into the weeds, but there were a couple of twists and turns that the boys took that I really had a good time listening to. Yeah, I just, I really like the format of this episode a lot. Yeah, it was super cool. It's very different, which is like kind of welcome at this stage. Like, you know, we're at episode 25. Like, Mm -hmm. not to say that things are getting boring or repetitive, but like, it's nice to have like a like big format change right in the middle of things. Yeah, absolutely. It helps to like spice things up and keep things new. Yeah, so I mean, let's get into it. Yeah. Argo and Master Fearbog are awakened from their sleep by pounding on the door, which grows more frantic the more time passes. The Fearbog finally opens the door and Rainier flies through, clearly having been slamming her chair backwards to get their attention. (laughs) (laughs) She skids to a halt, confessing that her father has kidnapped Fitzroy, but it's probably fine. It's probably fine. (laughs) I mean, I've never really had to go to someone and been like, All right, so our best friend has been kidnapped. It's probably okay. By my parent. Also, it's it's probably fine, but I was like using my wheelchair as a battering ram to get your attention, but it's like super (laughs) cool. It's super casual. The Fearbolg asks where Fitzroy is now, and Rainier guesses he's at the crypt, her dad's home. Argo is ready to save their friend. Uh, The Fearbolg asks how far away the crypt is, and it's a day's ride by horseback. Argo mentions the Pegasi, uh, which Rainier says would only be half a day's journey with them assisting. So the boys dress up and head out. There is some debate over whether it's Pegasuses or Pegasus. Like uh, see, I'm a Pegasi person. That's all I've ever heard growing up. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like someone told me, like, oh, no, it's actually not Pegasi. It's Pegasuses. And I was like, that just, you realize how <laughs> clunky your version is? Pegasi is just like Pegasi. It's mm-hmm. not like Pegasuses. Like hippopotamuses. This is for Christmas, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather a Pegasuses than a hippopotamuses. I mean, Pegasuses are way more useful as a gift. Like, if you have a hippopotamus, what are you going to do? Feed it? Have it explode watermelons all day? That's it. That's all they can do. But if you have a Pegasus, like, or a Pegasi, if you were to get multiple, mm-hmm. you could ride them places. You could. I don't know what, do they, I would assume they eat the same thing horses do. Probably. So like, I don't have know. a license, so, like, it'd be really great to just be able to fly everywhere. Oh, my God. I can just see it now. That's pretty glorious. <laughs> I need to grow my hair out. A so little bit. It, like, blows in the wind. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And be a little, you gotta be shirtless. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I need a I need to take like a year or two sabbatical to like get in shape. <laughs> or you could just be shirtless and have flowing hair and you'd have a Pegasus, so don't even worry about it. Nah, too insecure. Mm. <laughs> Fitzroy has come to his senses in the crypt and the piles of bones he saw earlier have turned into two full skeletons. Ooh. One is taller and lankier, missing quite a few teeth, who is played by none other than Justin McElroy. Ooh, ooh. And he is named Gherkin. 
Uh, and the shorter skeleton is stouter and has a full set of gold teeth, played by Clint McElroy, and Yay. his name is Tibia. Tibia. Fitzroy gets confirmation that he is where Rainier's dad lives, and after some bonding with the skeletons, invites them along on his journey. And I already, I loved it when he was like, you know, we have special guests playing these characters. I actually thought they were going to have a special guest. I did too. Because like, I'm so used to that in other podcasts. Like I listen to NADPOD and they've mm-hmm. had special guests or like on like the Dimension 20 side ca- quests, they have special guests. Mm-hmm. So I was like, who's it going to be? Oh, it's it's Justin and Clint. I mean, I'm very okay with that. But like, I, I, I felt a little teased. Yeah, no, for sure. When Travis was like, we have special guests playing them. I was like, oh my God, is it going to be like Brennan? Or did they bring someone from Critical Role? Like, I know they're all yeah. friends. But yeah, I was like, oh. I mean, I still love Justin and Clint. No, but no, no. It was, okay. it was definitely fun. But like if it was like Brennan and Matt Mercer, like oh. tell me that wouldn't have been super fun. Oh, my God. That would have been a riot. The three press onward to a long room with a door on the other side. Three switches in front of it, which indicates that the three of them will have to stand on all three panels to open the door. Standard dungeon puzzle. Standard. Yep. Between them and the switches is a deep pit with three chains set into tracks along the ceiling. Fitzroy asks the skeletons what's going on and through some nods and thumbs up because they cannot speak. They are just being played, literally played by Justin and Clint. They are not being voiced by them, unfortunately. They're not. At first I was like, oh, I wonder what voice they're going to bring to this. But they're mute, which I actually was like, oh, that's kind of clever, actually. A character that can't talk. Yeah, I really enjoyed the way they handled it. Mm Mm-hmm. But through those, like, you know, grunts and nods, he offers the best chain with a harness to Gherkin. He pushes Gherkin, who throws his arms into the air with joy, and the chain locks in place as he reaches the other side. Gherkin has made it safely across, but the chain cannot be sent back, like Fitzroy had kind of hoped, Mm -hmm. to just use the safest chain. (laughs) I mean, that would be my hope, too, as a player. Like, all of us should use the safest one. But, you know, dungeons are dungeons for a reason. Yeah, no, I get it. Turning to Tibia, Fitzroy then offers the second best chain to Tibia and pushes him to the other side. And as Tibia makes it to the other side safely, you know, I was kind of like impressed that he offered the first and second best chains to them. I was too. Because I mean, like he didn't have to. I mean, they're skeletons of this crypt. Like they probably would be fine if anything happened to them. Right? And I mean, I know that there's necromancy involved, but they could probably be resurrected much more easily than Fitzroy could, or at least reassembled again if they fell apart. Yeah, no, I was very proud of Fitzroy for being so selfless in this moment, but I was like, I don't know if it's necessary, but it's sweet. It was, yeah, that's exactly my thoughts, where it was like, oh, like, wow, what character growth and like how impressive that you would do this, but like unnecessary? (laughs) Yeah. Proud of you, but maybe not needed. Yeah, and now he has the old greasy chain to himself, which he approaches with trepidation, but then he casts Thunderstep instead and just appears next to the skeletons <laughs> on the other side, which also he could have taken one of them with him if he would have liked, because Thunderstep allows you to take people with you. Oh, it does? Yeah, it takes you. it allows you to take one person. I think up to one person with you. It might be more. Oh, that's super cool. I don't think Misty Step works that way. I think Misty no. Step is just yourself. And Thunderstep does a ton of damage on your way out. Thunderstep is literally one of the coolest spells in the game, if you play it right. Is it? I'm imagining it like whenever Thor leaves and he just leaves like these designs behind him on the ground, except in kind of yeah. damage. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, I, it was in Dimension Twenty, I think, is where I've seen, I where I started seeing people use Thunderstep, and each time I was like just impressed with how cool it is because it's literally like 
you can run into the middle of a circle and just be like, grab your ally that's being attacked and thunderstep out of there. No opportunity attacks. You're 30 feet away and you do a bunch of lightning damage to everyone in the area. Like, wow, what an amazing spell. What level is that? Fitzroy's not a very advanced sorcerer. I think it's only like fourth, like a fourth level, like a third or fourth level spell. Wow, that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, and obviously like the damage gets higher as you level up and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's I'm going to have to look for Thunderstep now. Yeah, it's a super cool one. Fitzroy tells the skeletons that because he has magic, nothing ever goes wrong for him as they each stand on a plate and then the door swings open. And I was like, (laughs) things have gone wrong for you plenty of times. Because of your magic, sir. Because of your magic. Uh, A lot of your life. (laughs) So, I mean, it's a lie. And skeletons, at least Travis doesn't make the skeletons roll inside or anything. But yeah, they ain't got to roll no bones about it. Oh, there's the first bone joke. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to Rainier, the Fearbulk and Argo down at the big tree. And the Fearbulk summons Breeze through the willows. And she appears along with Storm at Sea and Snow on the Mountain. Uh, the Fearbulg asks if they can transport them to the crypt, which Breeze agrees to gladly. Which still loving these Pegasi names. I'm still waiting for Islands in the Stream. Still. Islands in the Stream. <laughs> that uh, is what, what a good we... song. I know. <laughs> the boys help Rainier onto Breeze to the Willow, and she minimizes her chair, putting it in her bag. Uh, cool. Which I just, I love that. Yeah. Before the Fearbulg can mount his Pegasus, he makes a con saving throw. And a piercing voice uh, pierces his brain, staggering (laughs) him, but he's able to stay on his feet and recognize the voice as that of the Guardian, who delivers him a message that his clan is in danger and they need him immediately. Oh my God. Which was like, what? Oh my God. The clan that shunned him right now of all times. (laughs) And they they need him? I was a little confused because the Guardian said that he was delivering a message from Master Fearbolg himself. But I mean, I guess they would all be Master Fearbug, right? They're all Fearbug. I mean, like, I guess that's true. I just imagine him being like, no, no, I am Master Fearbug. My father is Master Fearbug. <laughs> please, 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 call. Just call me Master Fearbug. Master Fearbug is my father. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's also interesting because, like, I don't even think it's, like, I mean, obviously, as we go along, but, like, I didn't even read it as, like, they need him. It's more like the Guardian's, like, I'm saying they need you. They probably, and clearly, but, like, are fine without you. I mean, yes, that's true. And, like, not, like, fine, but, like, I don't think they would have ever reached out to the Fearbulg. It's true. Yeah, no, they're the ones that banished him. But I like that Master Fearbulg has kind of connected himself to the nature surrounding the school to where they're reaching out to him for things. I thought that was pretty cool so yeah moving forward master fearbulk says he has to go you know to his old clan and rainier understands argo obviously is kind of like do you want us to go with you like that seems like a big deal mm-hmm. but the fearbulk says he must do this on his own having them come along is not the way of the clan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we're gonna have like a three-way split at this point where fitzroy is with gergen and tivia argo is going to be with rainier and the fearbulk will be on his own Mm-hmm. They wish him well, and the Fearbulk jumps onto snow on the mountain, and Argo mounts storm at sea, and they all take off in opposite directions. I always get stressed out whenever a party separates. Always get stressed out. Yeah, I think that's like the horror movie watcher in me is like, why would you do this? This just makes you easier to pick off. Exactly. I'm like, you guys, it's so much harder when you're in a group because you're looking out for each other. If it's just one of you, it's so easy to take you out. And, like, just D&D enemies are so intense sometimes. Yes, they can be so intense. And they can have crazy 
I mean, you really like the ones that have, what are those called? Like legendary resistances and like legendary actions. Yeah. So those can F a player up. I mean, like, and you need like the the backup, right? Like I recently, and again, always for the players of mine that listen to this podcast, this always dates when we record these. <laughs> but we recently had an encounter against a Demi-Lich and mm-hmm. the Demi-Lich has an ability called Roar, where if you fail like a DC 19 con saving throw, you like go straight to zero HP. Yeah. And a couple or of it our might players... be DC 15. I think it's actually DC 15. But like a couple of us went down several yeah. times. And yeah. without the other people in the party, that literally would have been it. Yeah. You know, if it was like a solo encounter, like what you fail one con save and like that's it for you. There's nothing to be done. Exactly. Especially if the lich keeps or whatever the enemy is, like keeps going after you after you're down. Those are automatic failed death saves. You're you're dead super fast. Yeah. Anyway, I'm super stressed. But yeah, <laughs> that is why it is stressful to separate the party. Uh, we flash back to Fitzroy, who finds himself in a room with a white pedestal in the middle. On the pedestal are many keys. The teeth are the same, but the figures are all different on the ends. There's a door opposite him and the words choose above it. When Fitzroy investigates the lock, he can make out and justify in tiny letters. Uh, if Fitzroy believes the key will unlock the door, it will do so, which makes sense because it's choose and justify. So realistically, it's really like it's debate club keys. <laughs> Uh, I haven't come across this room in a dungeon yet. Debate club keys. <laughs> the debate club keys? Yeah. yeah. It's choose and justify. You know, it's like, it's one of the four keys of debate club. Stand and deliver. <laughs> choose and justify. <laughs> it's my favorite movie uh, of that genre, which is actually like my guilty pleasure genre, which is the like teacher goes into the inner city and teaches these kids not only math or whatever subject, but the worth of their own lives. Oh. I love that. I'm a sucker for that. Like, it's, you know, your Coach Carters, your Freedom Riders, your Sand and Delivers. Like, I'll watch them all day long. I mean, they're so good, right? Because, uh, you, yeah, yeah, classics. Ugh, beautiful. I don't think yeah. this is that, but now I'm into, I want to go watch one of those movies. I'm just saying, choose and justify. I agree with you. Would make a good one of those. <laughs> TM, TM, TM. <laughs> and that would be them doing that, but it's a debate club. Oh my god, the teacher just And I can to already see club. the really cheesy scene where they're like battle raps are like debates, am I right kids? <laughs> 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 my favorite debater is Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I need the release date. I want to go see. <laughs> uh, Fitzroy picks up the candle, justifying that fire is chaotic and that it lights the way, but it is still dangerous. And the key unlocks the door, which is, uh, you know, very good justification. Yeah, I liked it. However, instead of entering another room, they see stairs, at the top of which is a stone room with devices and tools everywhere. There's movement and someone is standing with their back to them. They wear a rich black cloak, the hood drawn up. Mm. Fitzroy greets them, and the person says they've been waiting for him. He turns and sees a skeletal face with black, intricate lines patterned on its surface, and he's holding a tray. Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your two-timing tag-along. Here's always to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode, and we really, really hope you like the idea of enjoying even more episodes, because starting next week, we are moving to two releases a week. 
We will be releasing an episode Monday and Thursday as we try to catch up as close to the finale as possible. The main benefit to Taz having dynamic ads is even though I'm listening to a month's old episode, you can hear this week's announcements and Travis has said we're close to a wrap up. Obviously, we'll probably still miss it, but hopefully just by a hair rather than a whole wig. With all of that additional content, you'll probably want an easy place to find out about it. Well, you can do that by keeping up with our social media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinTaz. On Facebook, you can also find the official TalkinTaz group where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. No major notes from this episode, but let's talk about that question. Last week, we asked about truly OP plays you've seen or done, and some of you had some amazing stories to share with us, while some others of you could stand to take a little bit more risk in your games. This week, let's talk about connecting to your characters. This episode, we have a very heavy moment with Master Fearbolg that brought a tear to all of our eyes. Have you ever connected with a character so much that a specific scene really brought you and your table to an emotional place? What was the scene and how did it affect your character? We'd love to hear about it. Now, back to the podcast. Smiling, he raises the tray and offers Fitzroy a scone. <laughs> That's going to suck all that the visual. moisture. <laughs> what visual? You know, well, like, you know, like this, like, intense lich like skull lich with like intricate black runic designs etched into its skull being like would you like a scone <laughs> now whenever i think of scones i think of ted lasso where he <laughs> hands it to his kid and he's like it's like a it's like a pastry but it sucks all the moisture right out of your mouth which scones do scones also literally just look like biscuits yes yes but they like do. apparently they're like way drier than biscuits they because are. like I had always heard of scones, but like you don't really get scones that in that many bakeries here in America. Mm-hmm. Or at least British versions of scones. I feel like we have American scones, which are just like every other pastry. Yeah, that's true. But like the British scone, when I saw that in Ted Lasso, I was like, that just seems like a dry ass biscuit. Which is the sequel to Wet Ass Pussy by <laughs> Megan The Stallion and Cardi B. Dry ass biscuit. <laughs> Now, you, now you're eating on some dry ass biscuits. Now we're <laughs> snacking on some dry ass biscuits. <laughs> and everyone's dabbing in the background because that's the acronym. Yeah. <laughs> dab, dab, dab. We're going to need ambidabstrous people who can do it hey, both sides. Hey, you can TM, do TM, it. TM. <laughs> that's my word. In case anyone is wondering, that is when you are able to dab to the left and to the right. Equally as good. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh we cut to the fear who arrives at his clan but everything looks fine it's honestly exactly as he left it and he approaches one that the fear might have called friend once upon a time and he asks why he's returned and calls him thief and Ugh. i was like how dare you i know first of all uh, that is my friend catch these <laughs> hands <laughs> master fear says he was told there was a calamity to which the other Fearbulk says they need no help from his kind. But the Master Fearbulk's father, referred to as his sire, is dying. Oh. Master Fearbulk can stay until he's passed, but then he must go. And I was like, oh, oh no, oh, poor Fearbulk. No. As if, like, the stress of your clan needs you wasn't enough. Now it's like, oh, we don't need you, but your dad's dying. Yeah. Ugh. 
Back in the crypt, the skull-faced man apologizes and says he was wearing his work clothes, pulling back the hood and revealing a dark-skinned, bald man, saying it's a pleasure to meet Fitzroy and introduces himself as Gordy. Gordy! <laughs> According to Gordy, the puzzles that Fitzroy traversed were a job interview since he's looking for an army and Gordy wanted to get to know him first. So he set up the rooms and sent Gherkin and Tibia to help and now wants to have a conversation with him. After expressing some mild irritation that he keeps being put into tests to see if he's up to fighting the war, uh, when it seems he's the only one doing anything to stop it, which is mm-hmm. very understandable. Very, very good point. Yeah. Fitzroy says he'd like to interview Gordy in turn, uh, which is understandable. Fitzroy is kind of essentially the general of this army when you really think about it. Like, he's kind of like the main commander in chief of the war effort against Grey. Very much so. When Gordy was five, he had been abandoned by his family because of his power, since it scared them. Uh, and it scared him. But his adopted parents found him in one of their travels and weren't afraid of him and taught him everything they knew about necromancy and about love. Aww. When he was older, Gordy wanted to pay forward everything he had been taught, so he traveled to Nua and found Rainier, who also needed someone to show her that power is not good or bad, but it is what you do with it. I just, I love Gordy's whole story. Yes, I was, I mean, justifiably, I was pretty terrified of him at first. But as soon as he's like, oh my God, let me tell you all about me and like where I come from. I fell in love with him instantly. Yeah. And I just love, you know, I, I think it's just really good storytelling from Travis here. Cause like, I do love the, you know, power isn't inherently evil. And I think about characters like Raven from the Teen Titans and stuff, mm. whose like powers literally come from like a devil. Uh, and it's like, but they're a hero. And it's like, you know, your power is what you do with it. Yeah. It doesn't define you, you define it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, like, I also think about, like, a lot of times people, like, when they're creating, like, a warlock character, they're like, well, it's a warlock. It should be evil. And I'm like, why does it have to be evil? You know, and they're like, oh, it's a cleric. It's a good guy. And I'm like, why does a cleric have to be a good guy? Like, play around with these themes. And, like, again, your power is what you make of it. Exactly. You can do with whatever you want. Just because something was set in stone before you as inherently good or bad doesn't mean that's actually what it is. Yeah. Fitzroy says Gordy's got the job and tells him everything about Grey and the war and that he would appreciate Gordy's help. (laughs) That wasn't a very, I will just say, that wasn't a very intense interview. It was kind of just like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, here's a little bit about my past. You're hired. But honestly, I feel like that's all interviews really are to an extent. That's true. Like, realistically, I feel like so much of it is formality. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's really all about like a feeling and a vibe. That's true. That's yeah, it's an, and it's how they're presenting themselves that day, too, right? Exactly, 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I honestly feel like no one's ever gotten realistically hired or fired based off of, like, the, like the exact, like, on-paper words they use to answer a question and more off of, like, the confidence, the attitude, the mentality that, came, that comes along with it. You know, yeah, exactly. how you and, dress you know, is important, too. Yeah. And I feel like Fitzroy kind of just cut through the fat a little bit. It's true. He did. I mean, Gordy already had a pretty, pretty cool wardrobe change in front of him. So that's already like bonus points. Gordy asks if he can be a dad for a second. And he asks how Fitzroy got roped into a war in the first place. And Fitzroy brings up chaos and the wig and staffs. And Gordy says this seems very unfair to Fitzroy. And I was like, you know, he's a young adult that is commander in chief against a demon lord in a war yeah you know he's kind of i mean like i mean he's like what like 23 like 
I mean, can you imagine at 23? Hell, can you imagine yourself now being told that you have it? to be like in charge of a war effort against like a demon lord? I, I mean, personally, no, I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility. But Joan of Arc was like 15. Yeah, but even then, like sometimes I think about the Joan of Arc story, and I'm just like, God, like. I, you know, she's such a hero and like, it's such a phenomenal story, mm-hmm. but like, God, I can't even imagine being 15 and feeling like it's all on my shoulders to save a nation. Yeah, that is, I have a hard enough time trying to decide what I'm going to eat for dinner. I can't imagine trying to When I was to 15, I was, I was stressed out trying to figure out my Tumblr username. <laughs> I'm still stressed out trying to figure out a Tumblr username. <laughs> How much has changed? (laughs) (laughs) But Fitzroy is, you know, very mature about it. He says, you know, if he didn't feel up to the task, he'd just be sulking. But he keeps asking for help and keeps being asked to jump through all these hoops to get it instead of just receiving the help they need, Mm -hmm. which is true. Mm -hmm. Gordy says that's something he's noticed about this world, that there's so much restriction and expectation, saying everyone kind of gets sorted into the hero, villain, or sidekick hench person, and it's BS to him. I mean, yeah, it is. We've talked ad nauseum about how much we don't like the hero villain system but does that But i also agree with just the other side of the argument of like you know i feel like so much of society is like i give to you with expectation of return Mm -hmm. you know or like i will only assist you if i feel like there is something that i will get in the long run or i will get something in the short term Mm -hmm. and you know it's very rare to find someone like a gordy or like a fitzroy that's kind of like i just want to do the right thing here yeah, and, you know, what side of history are you going to fall on? Mm-hmm. Fitzroy formally asks Gordy for his help against Grey, and Gordy says he will with only one request. Treat the skeletal fighters just as he does the living fighters, to which Fitzroy eagerly agrees to. That's so sweet. I which, like, that. I mean, it's it's honestly, like, almost a non- Like, he's clearly already bonded with two of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, he can... This also really helped him kind of realize that they were useful allies. Yeah, they were... I mean, they didn't... <laughs> help so much in the decision making but they seemed ready for anything yeah and they clearly have you know personality and stuff mm-hmm. gordy offers to feed fitzroy and then have gherkin and tibia escort him home we do cut back to master Fearbolg, who makes his way towards his father's home he heads inside and finds his father laying in his bed mm-hmm. they have a very heartwarming reunion both saying they have missed each other and that master Fearbolg feels like a stranger here but his father reassures him that he's not a stranger in this home. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Already crying. You know, Papa Fearbog asks Master Fearbog where he's been and what new clan he's joined. Our Fearbog tells him about attending school and getting adepted, having a career. Though he knows it's not what his father wanted for him. His father says he cares more if he has found a new clan, which Master Fearbog says he has. That it's small, with only three of them, but they are his clan. And I was oh. like, oh my god, oh Master Fearbog. I'm still I was already crying when you walked in and now I'm like crying harder you know he asks him if there are other fear bulgs and he's like no he's like do they follow the code and he's like no and he's like well they're lucky to have you anyways and I was like wow I really like his dad yeah I know I was like wow there's this mentality that the fear bulg that has been built up in my mind based on what master fear bulg has said about them being so rigid and his father's just so sweet and accepting, and I really liked that. I know. I, I, it's great. I love it. Master Fearbulk says he's tried to be a light to be a good example, but he's learned that the code is what keeps the Fearbulk together and unchanging. And there are others who don't follow the code who are brave and strong, and that he can learn from them as much as they can learn from him. Aww. 
His father reiterates that Master Fearbowl can still teach them things, and he's happy that he's not alone. But Master Fearbowl corrects him, saying he has been alone ever since he left the clan. <laughs> but he and his group are alone together. <laughs> My God. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Which, like, I mean, I feel like I've had those friendships before, like, especially a lot during, like, high school and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like during school, because, you know, we've had a conversation on this podcast before about how a lot of relationships and friendships you have throughout your life are kind of circumstantial. Yeah. Like, had you not been a coworker with this person or had you not been, you know, a at going to the same school as this person, like, you would have never in a million years been friends. Mm-hmm. And not even just because you wouldn't have interacted with each other, but, like, you also, like, realize that after the fact how little you had in common or how much you just weren't the the, the right people for each other mm-hmm. but you know sometimes it's kind of just about not being alone in the world and f- having someone there to kind of go through the ups and downs with yeah. even if maybe they're not the right person forever sometimes those friendships are the ones we look back on the most fondly because maybe we weren't a unit but we were able to be alone together that's so true it's so well said i'm gonna cry all over again <laughs> <laughs> papa fearbulk says that of all the fearbulks he's known master fearbulk is the one he knows will do good and who won't let the world change him to something bad that he knows what's right and he knows the code which can sometimes be the same. He has been just as alone with his son gone, so sometimes what's right and the code aren't the same, and says his son is a good fear bulk. And I, again, I'm, <laughs> this is so emotional. Oh yeah, this whole scene. And Travis did an amazing job with all the different so fear bulk voices. They sound similar to Justin, but different enough to distinguish them. And the two of them going back and forth was just beautiful. After this beautiful exchange, Master Fear bulk hopes his father will sleep well. And his father closes his eyes and passes away. <sighs> Master Fearbulk sings a funeral song as a farewell, and it's just beautiful in every way. Oh my god. I was at, there were like tears streaming down my face the first time I listened to this. And then when I re-listened to it for the transcript, I was crying again. Like it's so heartfelt. It's so and beautiful. So beautiful. I can't get over just how good, you know, Justin is at this. I mean, you think you've you think you've seen everything from Justin and then something like this comes up where he just like gut punches you with how good of a job he did. I also like kind of hate that this episode still goes on after this. It was such a beautiful like way to end it. Yeah, I'm kind of just like, oh, we're still going on. And it's like, I'm not even like the rest of it's bad. But like, I'm just like, don't give me this beautiful thing and then be like, and then we cut back to Fitzroy and Gordy having dinner. <laughs> having some scones (laughs) oh god it's Uh, true but i mean that is where we move forward to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and as they're having dinner argo and rainier rush in gordy welcomes them and invites them to dinner and rainier asks why fitzroy was kidnapped but fitzroy says everything's fine as argo goes in on those scones (laughs) which honestly growth from argo it is rare for us to see him eat something other than citrus, citrus. that's true we he did was... see him eat the you know the hard tack and stuff but honestly him eating scones it's a big move for him it is because scones are not something i think sailors would take with them on the open seas because it no. doesn't preserve as well as other food no. so the fact that he's going for something that isn't a part of his sea life it is 
that is a lot of growth. Yeah. Rainier does let Fitzroy know that the Fearbogs clan is in danger. Fitzroy wonders why Argo didn't go with him. But Argo's kind of like, he didn't want me to. He said I wouldn't have been allowed to go. So Fitzroy whips out the notebook of far speech and asks the Fearbog if he is okay. But Gordy says magic cannot get in or out of here. So he offers to send everyone back to school, including the Pegasat. That is a boss move. Of course. You know, he's he is, you know, like the Lich Lord or whatever. The Undying Lord? The Undying. He, he is the Undying Lord, yeah. Okay, okay. Everyone takes him up on this and Gordy sends them back. But unlike last time, the transportation isn't instantaneous. The fire flickering and Fitzroy sees a part of the fire parts and that the Godscar chasm is before them. A nine foot tall figure with opalescent skin and wide eyes is standing there. The figure winks at Fitzroy. Then they are all back at school. Ugh, the chaos again? I've, I can't imagine it's anyone else. We do know chaos is nine feet tall and has opalescent skin. That's true. Yeah, we've seen them several times in the boys' visions. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like it can't be anyone but chaos, but it, it, he almost read it like a cryptid. Like, it almost felt like they saw Bigfoot going through this thing. <laughs> it's the moth, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is our uh, crossover with Amnesty. Oh, my God. Oh, Fitzroy would not play well with them. No, no. <laughs> Uh, Fitzroy writes in the Book of Far speech and hears someone clear their throat behind him. Turning, they see Gray sitting at the steps of the school. Ooh. He says that if they left without his permission, he would kill 10 students a day. But they didn't listen, and he is a demon of his word. Oh, God. He gestures to the big tree where 10 unconscious students are tied to the tree Ugh. as he cries, sick him, and a dozen hellhounds tear towards them. Oh, my God. With that very climactic ending, the episode fades. And that's what we have. Oh, my God. I was so many emotions this episode because I had the just pain and all the tears and all of the feelings with the Fearbog losing his father. And then we quickly switch over to this, which had like my heart racing and my anxiety was spiking and I don't know what's going to happen. So like, what a whirlwind. Yeah, it was a phenomenal episode, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very nervous about this. Because honestly, like, I didn't even think about it the entire time. Like, my brain completely forgot that, you know, he had set the stipulation that they couldn't leave. Oh, yeah, no, Sam, I completely forgot that that was a thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, luckily, and I'm glad because I don't think this is a, that dark of a story where we would have that. But, like, luckily, they clearly get to stop this murder of the 10 students. Or at least try to. Yeah, but, like, I feel like I'm just glad it's not, like, a situation where Travis was like, yeah, you came back and 10 students were dead. Or he just, like, snaps his fingers and kills them instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah, there is this element of you might be able to do something. Yeah. So, I mean, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if he's able to do that. <gasps> but we won't know until next week. Because <laughs> that is all we have for this week. We hope you had a good time listening. We, I know we had a good time recording this episode. Yeah. But until next week, I have been PJ. I have been Lauren. And we'll see you next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz. Uh -huh.